Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in for part two of this series called Elephant Eating Ants. If you're new to this series, there's a passage of scripture in Proverbs 6 that reads, Consider the ant, you lazy bum. Watch its ways and become wise. Although it has no overseer, officer, or ruler, in summertime it stores its food supply. At harvest time, it gathers its food. So what we're trying to do over these weeks together is consider the ant. And in so doing, become wise. There's a phrase in American culture that says, how does an ant eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Well, similarly, there's a question in Christianity that asks, how does a Christian live by faith? One step at a time. To that point, each week, we're trying to take one more step of faith and become wise. And in order to set up where we're going this morning, I need to push our elephant and ant analogy a little further. But before we dive into that, let me quickly pray. God, we know that wisdom ultimately begins with you. And so we're asking you to do now what only you can do and clarify your word. Speak to our hearts. Help us understand you better. Help us draw one step closer to your son, Jesus. We are mindful now of the free gift of salvation that you offer through him. And we're hoping to end our time today having uh, become more wise and drawn one step closer to you. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. In the savannas of Africa, there's a long-running conflict that pits elephants against ants that live in the trees the elephants would like to eat. Ecologist Todd Palmer of the University of Florida says, Elephants can eat entire trees in much the same way we eat cupcakes. Apparently, elephants know how to twist off the bottom half of a tree and stick it on top of the frosting and make a little cupcake tree sandwich. In related news, if you've never had a red velvet cupcake from Small Cakes, then shame on you. But in Kenya, there's a kind of tree that hires ants to help drive the elephants away. Uh, Palmer says this tree secretes a tasty sap that draws as many as 100,000 ants into a single tree. And when an elephant attempts to eat and chow down on the branches, the ant gets mad in a hurry. Angry ants swarm the notoriously sensitive trunk of the elephant. And Palmer has said he's seen as many as tens of thousands of ants swarming an elephant's face. So as scientists do, Palmer did an experiment. He enclosed some of these trees in elephant-proof fences and measured the changes of the trees for over a decade. We would all expect that the trees inside the fences would flourish with no threat of being eaten, but that's not what happened. After 10 years, many of the trees were dead and others had begun to grow more slowly. Palmer says all of the trees had stopped producing the sap, which in turn drove off the ants that once protected the trees from hungry elephants. And in the end, those sap reductions backfired because the guard ants were replaced with other insects who attacked the trees and filled them full of ugly holes and tunnels. Now, how does this relate to us? 
Well, the Bible describes God's word as being sweeter than honey. I would say that's a little bit like the sap that this tree produced. And when we're being elephant-eating ants or Christians who live by faith, we're invited to protect God's word and cherish God's word and study his word. And admittedly, today is going to be a little bit more teachy than other messages because we need to do some work in God's word. My goal for us this morning is that we might come to an understanding of why God gave us his holy word, which was to reveal himself to humanity. Uh, Sometimes the Bible describes a how, but more often the Bible is describing a why. I'll say it this way. You might want to jot this down. The point of the Bible isn't a scientific how, it's a theological why. The point of the Bible isn't a scientific how, it's a theological why. This is never on display better than in the story of creation. I would argue that the creation account isn't a scientific how and was never intended to be, but rather it was intended to be a theological why. Matter of fact, let's just look at this together. If you have your Bible or are using an app, uh, Genesis 1.1, we'll start right in the beginning. The word Genesis literally translates beginning or origins. And uh, the second step of faith that we should live, the first one being trusting in the resurrection of Jesus. That was last week. This week, for the second step of faith, we need to begin at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Two words I want us to focus on. Day and day. You should be asking yourself, why is day capitalized here and not here? Because they're describing something different. Similar to how there's different ways to use the word day in English. In normal conversation, you might have the word day as in daytime, which describes an interval of time where there's light. You could have a solar day, which is a 24-hour period. You have a work day, which is typically an 8-hour day. You can say the day we met. You can win the day. If someone has potential, you might say their day will come. You've maybe seen a Western where the sheriff says to the outlaw, your days are numbered. Or when you get to be my age, you say, back in my day, like back in my day, we used to have to go to school in a building for seven hours a day. We weren't homeschooled online for like 30 minutes. And back in my day, there weren't calculators. There were little beads that were on a wire that you had to you know, move around back and forth. And in my day, a blackboard wasn't an internet tool. We had a physical blackboard. They had to like write on with chalk, and if the teacher tried to write an O, it made a horrible screeching sound that you could feel like up in your spine, and sometimes it made you sick to your stomach, and you thought you were going to throw up. And back in my day, thongs went on your feet, and there weren't tablets to use at breakfast. You had to sit there and read the cereal box and do the maze. And back in my day, 
If you weren't home to watch your favorite TV show, you just missed the show. Like, forever. And in retrospect, they did invent Netflix, and I can now stream all of my missed episodes of He-Man, but that's not the point. The point is, the same way we use day differently in English, in Hebrew, they use the word day differently. And in our text, it says, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So we have daytime, and we have a unit of time. How do we know? Because of the context of the passage. The best way for you to understand Scripture is by looking at the rest of Scripture. And in the subs subsequent Scripture, we put into context the words day. We see that day Capital D is the opposite of night, and so that's easy enough to understand. And in the following sentence, we see that day is a unit of time. It says, on the first day, there was evening and there was morning. Genesis 1.8, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Genesis 1.13, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Genesis 1.19, there was evening there was morning the fourth day. Genesis 1.23, there was evening there was morning the fifth day. Genesis 1.31, there was evening there was morning the sixth day. Now watch this, because here's where things start to take an interesting turn. Genesis 2.1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. What's missing? And there was evening, and there was morning the seventh day. That's not in there. That's important. It's not an accident. It was purposely omitted. We'll come back to that. First, let me show you one more use of the word day. It's the very next verse, Genesis 2-4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. That's like God saying, back in my day, back in my day, I made the heavens and the earth. You walked to school uphill both ways. I made the hills, God says, back in my day. Now, why are we spending so much time on this one word day? Because I think something is happening here that helps us build our foundation for becoming elephant-eating ants or Christians who live by faith. So remember, the point of the Bible isn't a scientific how. It's a theological why. And the point of our text isn't to tell us how God created the world, although it does. Don't get me wrong. It's to tell us why. That's the primary point. And what you have happening here is a sequence of events culminating in something special, a why. To be fair, you really don't have to look any further than in the beginning God. You can stop right there. If you want to build your faith on something, build it on that. That there is a God. In the beginning, God. Not AI, not aliens, and not some sort of evolution or simulation. In the beginning, God. Let me push you a little bit further here. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So here we have creation taking place before the traditional days of creation, right? It says, God created something. 
It was without form and void. Darkness was hovering. And maybe you'd like to think of it as God creating the potential for something to exist without it actually existing. I'm fine with that. Plus, without being super technical, we also know that's exactly what the text is saying. That something was created before the traditional days of creation. We know that from the syntax of the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, the tenses are different. They change. Verse 1 and verse 2 is what's called the perfect tense. And then in verse 3, it shifts to the narrative tense. And here's why that's compelling to me. Apart from any scientific considerations, the text of Genesis 1-1 leaves the age of the universe indeterminate. Like, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the universe. And then he starts the rest of creation. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is this sequence, how the scripture is building layers. And in layer one, it's God. In the beginning, God. And layer two, God creates. In the beginning, God created. And layer three, God speaks. In the beginning, God created. And God said. So real quick, I told you I'd come back to the how, even though the text isn't necessarily talking about a how. It does tell us how God created. The ultimate arc of the text is about why God created, but it does talk about how. So remember when we talked about the word day, each one of the days ends with, and there was evening and there was morning on the first day and on the second day. Well, the literal translation of that is actually a first day and a second day. There was evening, there was morning, a first day. That's significant because the article changes on days six and on days seven. The presence of this article indicates that the final two days are special. And they are. Because on the sixth day, human beings are made in the image of God. And in every other case, God speaks and things happen. But on the sixth day, God fashions human beings with his hands out of the dust of the earth. And he breathes life into them. And he says, it's not just good. This is very good. And you see how the text is building to all of this. And on the seventh day, God rests. His work is complete. And so here's what I think is going on. Now this is Landon talking, okay? So I want to make that very clear. For literally thousands of years, people have been debating this and arguing this. And we all have the same text, right? And so everybody is interpreting the text a little bit differently. So this is just one man's opinion. But in my opinion, the author of Genesis is giving us a sequence of six creation days. And these are normal 24-hour periods, which is why the text says, and there was evening and there was morning on each day. So God uses six 24-hour periods to create something new. But they are 24-hour periods that might have been separated by long periods of times, kind of like how there was a separation from in the beginning God created. We have no idea how long that duration was. In other words, the six 24-hour days of creation encompass a sequence of creation acts that could have very well taken place over literally thousands and thousands and millions of years. What's Peter say? A day is like a thousand years to God because God stands outside of time. 
So let me do this. Uh, one of the recurring themes within my marriage is Laura alleges that I never talk. Not just to her, like I never talk in general. In my defense, I speak for a living, and as a male, I'm only allotted a certain number of words on any given day, and I don't want to run out of words, you know, specifically here while I'm preaching, and so I have to limit my word usage throughout the week. So imagine you had a conversation with Laura, and she said, well, the first day Landon spoke, Landon said, I love you. And the second day Landon spoke, he asked, will you marry me? Now, you would never logically conclude that those days took place right away. You'd understand that there was a little bit of time in between. And Landon said, I love you. And Landon asked, will you marry me? Based on the context of the conversation. So, I believe the same thing is happening here. I believe every time the phrase, and God said, is used, it's the start of a new creation day, but there could have been thousands of years in between. And God said, and God said. In the words of John Lennox, at each stage of creation, God injected a new level of information and energy into the cosmos in order to advance creation to its next level of form and complexity. And so listen to me, by holding to this belief, no major doctrine of scripture is affected. There's nothing heretical that says, you know, you can't believe uh, day one, 24 hours, a long period of time, day two, a long period of time. But listen, listen, uh, this is so incredibly important. That's my understanding through hours and hours of research, that's my understanding of how, but how isn't what we're after. Why is what we're after. We're after why because the author of Genesis is after why. And why is to show us who God is. It's not a scientific how. It's a theological why. Why did God create? And in Romans chapter 1, we see it. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. That is to say, creation declares God in such a profound way that our people are without an excuse when it comes to his existence. God created to reveal himself. During my study, I came across a writer who wrote this. There's nothing in the Hebrew text, or in the English text for that matter, to indicate that this is a fanciful story, that this is some kind of an allegorical picture. There's nothing here to indicate that this is some kind of mystical poetry, that this is some kind of lyrical literary style that is something other than actual history. This is a purely expressed history from God written down by Moses. The creator himself gave Moses this accurate account of history. And why? To reveal himself to humanity. What's the first thing? That he reveals. That he's real. 
in the beginning God. And he's not just real, he reveals that he is comprised of a spirit. His spirit is hovering over the deep. Furthermore, he reveals that he's the author of creation. In the beginning, God created. We read a little further, it says, let us make man in our image, which is revealing something even further about God. Uh, We read in John chapter 1, he helps clarify this because he writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in just these little short verses, we find that God is both a God, that he is a spirit, and that there's a son who is the word, father, son, and spirit. We later read in the book of Colossians that all things were created by Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus, and to Jesus, which what is all of this driving us towards? When God speaks, something shifts. Jot that down. When God speaks, something shifts. That's why you should pay attention to creation. That's why you should perk up when the Bible starts talking about Jesus being the Word. Because when God speaks, something shifts. You can trace this throughout the Bible. When God speaks to uh, Joshua, armies are routed. When God speaks to Moses, seas are parted. When uh, God speaks to Elisha, uh, dead bones are raised to life. When God speaks, significant things start to happen. So what do we know? We know from the literary style of Genesis that the author is building towards something. There's a big reveal. There's a climax. And we have this sequence of events where God is progressively revealing himself to humanity. And step one is, there is a God. And step two, this God creates. And step three, this God is personal because he speaks. And this God is relational because he isn't alone. There's a spirit and his word. And this personal, active, relational God also chooses to rest. Which we know God isn't resting from all activity. Because Jesus says in John 5, 17, My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. This is a huge deal because God rests from creation, but not the work of salvation and redemption. Like that's still happening, which is the best news in the history of the world. That God is still revealing Himself to people and saving their souls, which is also a point to prove that it's a huge deal when God speaks. When God speaks, people get saved. So here's what I want to ask you. What's happening in your heart when God speaks? That's why you should care about Genesis 1. Because when God speaks, something shifts. And God is revealing himself to you through creation. And everything is building and building and building to the point where God creates human beings in his image. And then God quits creating. Why? So that we can create. He entrusts to us the creation aspect from this point on. God says, hey, I'm going to rest for my creating. And I want you to figure out how to make tools and tend my garden and plant seed, and harvest my food, and I want you to create language, and draw maps, 
and paint pictures and build buildings and represent me on earth by what you create. And if we get caught up in the how of creation, we forget the why of creation. And the why is because he's God and we're not. And why would you ever want to serve a God that you could completely understand? Wouldn't that make you God? Yes, it would, which I'm a horrible God. But that's what every human soul struggles with, the desire to be the God of their own life. The Bible calls it sin, which is also why it's such great news that God still speaks, because he's speaking to your heart right now, trying to woo you into a relationship with him. And so let me read for you one more passage out of Romans 8. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. That's what's at stake for you. A future glory with the God of the universe that can only be found through trusting in Jesus. Listen, what do you have that God didn't create for you to have? It's like my kids when they give me a birthday present. It's like, thanks, but I bought this for myself through you. And you can't give God anything. It was all his. But you can trust him. And you can listen to his voice, and you can follow him wherever it is he's leading you. That's the why of the Bible. God, help us now to hear your voice. Speak to our hearts. Help us come to the realization that you are who you said you were. A holy, righteous, relational, active God that desires to have a relationship with his creation. The crowning achievement of his creation, us human beings. God, thanks for everything that you've done in the world, all the good things that you've created. Help us be mindful to steward them appropriately. But God, we ask you now to continue speaking in the area of redemption and salvation. And God, speak into purpose and destiny and help us uh, make the decisions that we need to make in order to follow you more closely. God, we know that sin separates us from you and that when you speak, you're, you're trying to soften our heart. But there's times, God, where we harden our hearts to your word and we want to do things our own way. So again, God, I'm asking you to just soften our hearts 
Help us be led. Help us be humble. Help lead us into the presence of your Son, Jesus, as we come into your presence, God, our Father. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Encourage us. Strengthen us as we encounter just a a different world than what we're used to. God, help give us strength and power and courage. Let us remember that uh, even though our circumstances have changed, our purpose hasn't. Let us live that purpose. Forgive our sin. Bring us closer to you. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.